Hey, welcome to Four Corners. My name is Ben. That movie is Maleficent, and it's been scaring little kids all week, all right? Um, uh, we're in the middle of our uh, God on Film message series for the summer, where we're looking at summer blockbusters, and we're asking, how do the themes of those movies overlap God's Word, and what can we do as a church to engage the culture, the conversations people are already having, and find God's truth in the middle of them? And this week, we're going to be talking a little bit about Maleficent. Now, I don't know if you know the story of Sleeping Beauty. That's really what it's all about, although this movie particularly focuses on the villain. Uh, Sleeping Beauty, here's the basic story. The king and queen have a daughter, and there's some evil in the world, Maleficent in this case, and uh, she's very angry. You'll find out why in the film. And she curses the little girl so that the little girl goes on through her life, somewhat idyllic and happy, and then at a moment in time, the curse takes full force in this young girl's life and uh, creates all kinds of problems for her. All right, so uh, no spoilers again. You can go watch the film if you want. Remember that we're not endorsing any of the films, but we are trying to ask what can we as a church do to engage the culture around us, the conversations people are already having. And today I want to talk to you about a biblical concept that doesn't get a lot of airtime, and I guess that's okay to some degree, but I want to make sure that we understand it before we leave today. And that's the concept of the curse. The Bible talks a lot about the curse that every human being that's ever lived is, is under, the curse of sin that every single human being is under. And before we jump into it full force, I want to show you a couple pictures from last week, all right? So uh, guys, on the screen, would you show them that first picture right here? Last week, we had a baptism during second service, and this is uh, Jen Lewis. Jen Lewis is friends with a couple uh, ladies and guys in our church. In fact, she's been in a small group. Her friend, Jamie Laurie, who was the girl singing right over here to my right, your left, uh, and, and Jen Lewis, they work together. Jamie and Jen work together. And um, Jamie started thinking about her friend Jen and about the church she attended and uh, wanted to invite Jen to church. And so Jen had been away from church for a very long time and uh, since she was a little girl. And so it was just, you know, making that step back into church is kind of a big one. And so uh, Jamie began to ask the people, uh, in her ministry team here on the worship team and in a, in a small group if uh, they would join her in prayer for Jen, uh, which is kind of a cool thing to do. Whenever God lays somebody on your heart to actually do something about that, like pray and think about that person, is a really great thing. And so uh, that, those emails were going around and there was some prayer uh, surrounding Jen and this invite. And so what happened was the small group that Jamie is in, along with a bunch of other people, uh, there's Jess Peck, um, who is kind of like the two girls who become Jen's friend. They're, they're in this hockey small group. So like on your seat, there's the small group calendar. There was a small group that was meeting. They were going to go watch hockey games together. We call that a connecting group or a fun group. And, and Jamie Laurie decided that this would be a good place to invite Jen to kind of come in, maybe not all the way into church, but kind of like halfway into the group of people that she does church with. So she did. She invited her to come to a hockey group. And uh, that doesn't seem very threatening at all, does it? You're just going to go watch a hockey game with a friend and some friends you don't know. Maybe we'll get to know. And so that's exactly what happened. They got together. But what, what Jen didn't know is there was a lot of prayer that went into the thing. There was a lot of just effort and intentionality going into the thing. And um, this was an expression of love from Jamie and Jess and the whole group towards Jen. She just didn't know it yet. By the way, that's three J's. There's something cool about that. Um, so, so she didn't know the whole backstory. All she knew is that a friend had invited her to this hockey game. She didn't realize maybe that it was a small group that got together, all right? 
And so, so she comes, and what's, here's what she discovered. There was a group of relatively normal people. Now, if you know the group, that's as far as I can go. Relatively normal people who are getting together, having a good time, watching a hockey game together, just enjoying each other's company, and generally creating a positive, pleasant environment. And she got to know these folks just a little bit. Now, from that half step into a group of people, they do church work. And then all the way, a full step into attending church was a whole lot smaller now. It wasn't from just a girl who used to go to church as a, as a little kid, but hadn't really been involved for a long time, trying to take that big step all the way into a church. And what would that mean? And would they like me? And would they accept me? No. She took a half step into a small group that embraced her, loved her. She didn't know they were praying for her, caring for her, loving her. And just a few weeks later, she decided she would, in fact, come to church with these people that she already kind of knew, already had a certain level of comfort with. And there she is in our baptism waters. And guys, if you'll throw up the next, uh, the next picture, this is her coming out. And we uh, celebrated that Sunday, uh, that with her last Sunday, that moment in time when she made Jesus the Lord of her life and rededicated her life fully to him as an adult, knowing what she was doing, and then honoring him through obedience and baptism uh, right there. The reason I'm taking some time to share with you this story is um, you have, for the last time on your seats today, an opportunity to join a small group for this summer. And it's right here in your catalog. And for the last few weeks, I've been pushing really hardcore for people to join learning groups. Learning groups where if you don't know much about God's Word or you need to grow or you haven't been in a growing environment for a while, I really pushed you hardcore to sign up for a learning group, and those are the ones that begin with the, 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 the letter L. So L1, L2, and L3, those are gospel project groups where you're going to dive deep into some theology with a group of people and talk about it. And I'm a huge fan of learning groups. In fact, I think most of us should a couple times a year engage a learning group to intentionally study God's Word and take G- serious Jesus' words that disciple-making and teaching are intricately connected, being a learner or a disciple, all right? But today I want to take your attention a couple pages later to our connecting groups. So those are the, the groups that begin with the letter C. And I just shared with you a powerful story of what happens when a connecting group really gets it. So let me, let me just kind of walk you through the, the levels of connecting groups, if you will. Now this is not formal, this is just Ben's thinking about them. See, it's perfectly legitimate and great to just get together with believers and have a good time. The Bible calls that fellowship, and most of us don't do enough of it, and we should do more of it. To just being around people, generally going in the same direction as we are, and having that environment not nip at our heels like life does, like our, our work sometimes will, or school will, just kind of nip at our heels, but being in an environment that actually encourages us. That's, that's, you know, like right here, just a fun, engaging environment. And there are all kinds of things you can do in here. You can go to King's Island, you can have a picnic with your family, playtime at the park, Caesars Creek outing, family-friendly geocaching, um, family potluck. It looks like a lot of these involve food, which is, you know it's a church if it involves food, there it is. You can go to the Reds game. Now, here's the thing, if you don't have a group of people around you, a group of friends who are also following Jesus, I'd encourage you to step out, get past your comfort zone, and join a connecting group right here to have fun. But let, let, me, let me tell you, um, beyond just having fun, which is good enough, there, there's like another level when it comes to these connecting groups or these fun groups. And that's the level of inviting your friends into that group who don't yet attend church. 
or who are maybe far from God. Maybe they're seeking. Maybe they're not hostile to God. They just can't imagine them in a church. As many people in our room have said to us today, some of you said this to me, if I thought that if I walked into a church, the building would collapse on me. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But what you can do is you can go sit at a Reds game with a few other people, and you have friends right now that you know that might not ever come all the way into church with an invite. Maybe you've invited them many times, or they'll only come on Christmas and Easter. But they would go to a Reds game with you, especially if you bought the ticket, or they would go with you to a picnic, perhaps, or maybe to Kings Island, and walk around with you, but not just with you, with a group of other people who are, let's say, relatively normal, right? Most of us are relatively normal people, and hang out. And so beyond just having fun, here's my point, and it really relates to what we're talking about today. You can make a spiritual investment in people through the tool of our connecting groups so that they can discover there are people who are not all that different from them who are trying to take God seriously in their lives. And in doing that, you move from just having fun, which in the Bible is legitimate, that's called fellowship, you move from that to making a spiritual investment in people who maybe don't ever think that they would be the kinds of people who could ever be involved in a church. I'm going to challenge you this summer. Make a spiritual investment. Make it in yourself through a learning group or in a serving group by investing in the community. And maybe you join a connecting group, and when you do that, you also decide, I'm going to invite a friend Maybe I've been wanting to invite to church, couldn't get up the courage to do that, or I did and they didn't come, or they only came on our big days, but you're going to invite them to understand that people at four corners, at least, are relatively normal. And at the same time, it's an encouraging environment, not only for you, but for them as well. Let me tell you why moving from just fellowship to making a spiritual investment is such a big deal. Because when you do that, you are specifically attacking the curse that is on this world. The Bible describes that when God created the earth, he created it very good, very good. It was perfect. And then so a few pages into your Bible, the world turns from a perfect world to a world gone bad. And sin enters the world. And all kinds of effect happens on the world because sin has entered. It affects the cosmos. It affects nature, plants, and It affects animals. It affects human beings and our relationships. It affects our connection to God. It has a growing negative impact, the fact that there's sin all around us. We have sin in our own lives. We have sin in the lives of people we do life with. There's sins in our culture. And all of that sin together, the Bible calls it the curse. God set out in the pages of our Bible to tell the story about him breaking the curse. So he begins in our Old Testament in Genesis chapter 12, and he picks one man out of the entire world. His name is Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to use you, and I'm going to raise up a nation, and I'm going to bless the whole world through you, Abraham. Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. One of those sons is a son by the name of Judah. Judah has a family. It's a large family, and that family and his brothers grow into an entire nation, and the entire Old Testament tells the story of that nation and that promise given to Abraham. And God raises up prophets who start to talk about there's going to come a special kind of king. And when that king comes, there's going to be a breaking of the curse. And we know today, because we have both Old and New Testament, that, that king's name is Jesus. And God sends his son Jesus to the world. We celebrate that at Christmas time. 
the gift, the Savior who would break the curse of sin on the world for individuals and ultimately for the world at large. The entire world will be made new. And it begins with the person of Jesus. And he gives his life as a perfect sacrifice on the cross. And God raises him from the dead. And the followers that he invested in take that message of salvation literally around the world. And today, we in this room are recipients of that work that was done a couple thousand years ago. And we still proclaim the message that Jesus saves people from their sins and breaks the curse at work in their lives. It's a big deal around here. So every Sunday, when we get to next step A on our bold steps, if you're our guest today, you'll hear about that in a moment. I ask you if there's anybody in the room that would like to make Jesus their Savior and Lord. And for the next few minutes, while we're talking today, I want to walk you through with a little greater intentionality and a little greater clarity, hopefully, exactly how this curse gets broken, exactly how that happens. Now, in my small group last semester, it was a learning group. We also did a lot of connecting and had some fun as well, a lot of good food, by the way. Uh, If you'll find that if I'm in a group, there's always good food involved. Um, It's just kind of a prerequisite for me. But we we got together and we started talking about kind of a a, a $10 theological term, the atonement, how Jesus atones for our sins. And we traced the atonement thread all the way from the Old Testament through the New Testament. We talked about the implications of what it means for God to break the curse in our life. And so there's, you know, like a a 10, 12-week study on that. But today I want to take you to one verse. And just before we go there, I want to ask you a very pointed question. So up here on my side screens, if you'll read along with me. Has there ever been a moment in time when you made a decision for yourself to put your trust in Jesus as your forgiver and leader? Has there ever been a moment in time when you made a decision for yourself to put your trust in Jesus as your forgiver and leader? Now, here's why I'm asking you that question. It's very easy to be like me and have grown up in church. It's very easy to be around good people. And when you're around a church environment or you're around good people, you tend to pick up the patterns of behaving, the way they talk, the way they act, the way they carry themselves. Kind of by osmosis, you begin to pick that up. The cultural pressure presses in on you. So, So as a young man, I looked and sounded a whole lot like a follower of Jesus, not so much because I had made a decision to follow him, but because I was picking up the clues from the life around me. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. But there came a moment in time when I needed to decide for myself what I was going to do with Jesus. Was he going to be the God of my parents, my pastor's God, the church's God, or was he going to be my leader, forgiver? my God. And every once in a while in church, it's it's very appropriate to just pause and go back to the core of the core of what we're all about, which in this case happens to also be very much uh, dealing with the curse that is, is on this world. The core of the core for us and dealing with the curse are the same exact subject. And that is that Jesus has come to this world so that we can have a relationship with him. And it would be incredibly tragic to go through church life and even begin to make some changes in your life and miss what really the core is all about. So from time to time, I like to stop and just ask with great clarity, have you personally, for yourself, apart from what your wife did, 
apart from what your parents did for you, apart from what a ministry leader encouraged you to do, did you ever for yourself make a decision that Jesus was going to be the Lord and Savior, the forgiver and the leader of your life? If you haven't, I'm hoping by the time we get done today, you will. And if you have, I want to walk you through a reminder of what Jesus has done in our life. And I want to give you a tool, a very simple tool that you can use to explain this to everybody else you ever meet. Honestly, in just about 10, 15 minutes, you're going to be able to understand from one verse in the Bible an incredible tool to explain how God breaks the curse and how Jesus saves us from our sins. And that one verse we're going to look at today is one that I go to regularly. It's one of my go-tos. It's Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And we're going to take the rest of our time and just look at this one verse. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this on the screens. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in just a moment, they're going to transition to a new piece of technology that we have. In fact, guys, if you could throw that up, I just want to make sure it's working. That board that you're seeing right there, I have it right here on my little iPad. And in just a moment, if all the saints will pray, it will work flawlessly as we, uh, as we begin to teach through this passage. So there you see, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to focus on all the significant words in this one verse and walk us kind of systematically through what is happening when somebody makes Jesus the Lord of their life. And I hope that if you haven't done that, this brings clarity to you and you feel a stirring and you'll want to do that. And if you have, I want to just give you a tool to both appreciate what's happened to you and to explain to other people. This little example was meant to be done at a, at, at a restaurant with a pen out of your pocket on a napkin. I mean, that, that, that's how simple this is. That little, you know, little napkin analogy. It's a, it's a one-verse tool to understand exactly what Jesus has done. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus, first of all, upon this word right here. The word wages. It worked. For the wages. Now let me ask you a question about this. How would you feel if you did a job and your boss at the end of that job, at the end of the time period, the week, two weeks, at the end of the month, refused to pay you for the wages that you were due. How would you feel about that? Most of us would want some sense of justice. In this case, we would want justice for the work that we had done. We want our wages for that. And deep down, most of us know that if we do something like work, we should get and, and we've agreed to do that for pay, we should then get paid for it. There, and most of us deep down have a strong sense of justice. We're very aware when, when we've expected something, when something's been promised and it's been delayed or it hasn't come yet. We, we, something in us longs for justice. And we're very aware with other people outside of us that if things happen to them that shouldn't have happened, if somebody takes advantage of them, sometimes we feel this sense of justice rise up in us. It's not a bad thing. This is very, very biblical. This idea that when you do something, you get paid for it. Some religions talk about it as karma, if you will. Other, other places in, in our Bible, it talks about the, the law of sowing and reaping. When you sow certain kinds of behaviors, you reap certain kinds of consequences. You get wages. And this is true spiritually. The Bible talks about the fact that spiritually, we reap wages from our actions. So our second word we're going to talk about here is the word sin. 
the word sin. And what we're specifically talking about are the wages of sin. That when we commit acts that we know we shouldn't, when we have attitudes that run counter to what God has ordained for human beings, this idea of sin, that when we do that, it brings certain wages into our Let me ask you a basic question. When I say the word sin, what do you think about? Most of us think of actions that people do. But according to the Bible, sin is much more than just an action. It's an attitude. It's a way of living life. It's much more than just an action. It's an activity that can involve excluding God from our lives or running against what we know he would want us to do. So let me ask you another question. Have you ever felt that maybe God was far away from you? If you've ever felt that way, that feeling you had when you felt God was far away from you, that's the kind of consequence or wage that God said happens when sin is present. Now, it's not the only time. Sometimes you can be close to God and still feel far away from Him. But the Bible describes that sin puts distance between humans and God. Sin puts distance between humans and God. We feel separated from Him. So one of the wages of sin is a distance between humanity and God. When you read the Bible story in Genesis chapter 3, the story there is told that the separation begins when Eve and then Adam decide to break God's law, and when they did, they're expelled from the garden, and there's distance between them and God. Sometimes in my life, the reason I feel distant from God is because there's an active sin. There's an attitude or an action that is at work in my mind, in my life, and it puts distance there. In our verse... The Bible says that for the wages of sin, ultimately, isn't just separation. Ultimately, the wages of sin is death. And in fact, if you look here at our little chasm, I want to show you, if I can do this. Bop, there we go. The wages, give me a second, you'll see it, of sin is death. Boom. Oh, my goodness. I love technology. What we have here are two cliffs and a chasm in between. And on the, the left side of our screen there, using the three significant words from the first half of this verse, describes the chasm, the, the, the left side of the chasm. And on this side of the chasm is, is all of humanity. All of humanity lives, begins, operates on this side of the chasm. Now, I am not an artist, and I've discovered that technology cannot compensate for that. So there, there we are, all right? And we are on the left side of the chasm. And every human being ever lived is under the curse. We come into a sinful world. Sin has marked our lives. It doesn't look that way. When you look at a small child, they're beautiful and lovely and kind until they can start talking and get a personality. And I remember um, you know, holding my two, two, two of my sons and, and one, one in each arm. And they were both young and cuddly and awesome and cute. And one, while I'm holding them, reached up and just slapped the other one in the face for no real reason. And I'm thinking, he's taking right after his mother. I mean, it just... <laughs> but in small ways and big ways, over time, as you watch, you can see this sin nature manifest itself. Selfishness, and pride, ego, and... And, and the consequences and the choices that come from that. But not just what we do, the, the stuff that happens around us. And so, well, for our, for our conversation today, we can't manage all the stuff that happens around us. But on an individual level, the curse of sin can be broken. 
And even though we all find ourselves on this side of a chasm, where the wages of sin ultimately are separating us from God, the Bible says that in, in a big sense, ultimately what's going to happen is it's going to bring for us a kind of spiritual death. A spiritual death. It's, it's like a separation uh, ultimately between humans and God. When you read the story of the Bible, we discover that there was no death in the world at all until sin entered. There was no bloodshed of any kind. Adam and Eve were created to live forever. The Bible says that when the curse of sin is broken, then we get the gift of eternal life given back to us. But until that curse is broken, we're all headed towards death on multiple levels. A, A kind of separation from this world, from the people we love, and ultimately from God himself. And this is the ultimate wage of sin. A death that takes place in real time in our lives. And so because God is the, alter, the ultimate author of life, because sin brings death, ultimately sin brings separation from him. But there's a very significant word here in this, um, in this passage, and it's the next word I want you to take a look at. It's the word but. And I like this word right here because it's going to signal for us a significant change in the thought pattern. A significant change in the thought pattern is happening. And it's going to help us to span the gap that is created here in the chasm. We're going to move from the left side where there are the wages of sin, which bring death and separation. And we're going to move to the right side where we get a whole different set of realities. The first reality that we hit that's completely different than the first half is this this first significant word here. The word gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift. Now it's interesting because each one of these new words on the right hand side of our verse are going to stand in direct contrast to the ones on the left hand side of our verse. Wages are what you get, what you earn, but a gift is the opposite. A gift comes to you not so so much because you've earned it, but because somebody wants to give you something. They want to bless you. They want to say they love you. They want to invest in you. And so they go above and beyond what you've actually earned, which would be a wage, and they give you a gift. On one side of the chasm, we have wages, getting what we've earned. But on the other side of the chasm, we have a gift, and it's not any gift. It's a gift, and here's a phrase for us. It's a gift of God or a gift from God. It's the gift of God. On the left-hand side, we have the wages of sin, but on the right-hand side, we have the gift of God. That the very God who created us and wants to be connected to us is going to deal aggressively with the curse and ultimately break the curse in our life by saying we're going to change the paradigm. We're not going to simply give you what you have earned and what you deserve. We're not going to watch all the stuff in your life and do some kind of balancing mechanism and say good versus bad. No, we're going to kind of scrap that whole system and instead I'm going to, God says, I'm going to gift to you something that you cannot earn on your own. No matter how hard you try, you'll never be able to earn what I'm going to give you. And what I'm going to give you, the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I'm just trying to get this all in here. Let's see if it works. 
boom. The gift of God is eternal life. On the other side of the chasm, on the other side of the, of the but, the change in thought, there is opposing wages, a gift. Opposing wages of sin, it's a gift from God. And opposite of death, there is eternal life. God wants to give people, me and you, every single human being, an opportunity to have the curse broken and not live simply the consequences of our own behavior here and now and ultimately forever. But he wants to give us life eternal. And then he tells us exactly how we get that gift or through what process we get that gift. And here is our next key phrase, the phrase Jesus Christ. We get this eternal gift, we get the sin curse broken, we get eternal life through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Let me show you how this works pragmatically. What happens here is, Jesus Christ becomes literally the bridge that helps us to get across from one side where we are all the way over, and I can't draw a picture of God, so I'm going to use kind of an ancient diagram to represent God, which is the triangle, which represents the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then on the one side, there we are, stuck on one side of the chasm, the wages of sin is death, we're all overcome by the curse of sin, it's at work in everybody's life, even cute little babies, give them enough time, you'll see it. Every one of us have made choices. Everyone has have, have actions, things that we haven't actually done, but they're there in our head. Motivations that cause us to act. That's on one side of the chasm, but on the other side, there's God and his offer or his free gift of eternal life. And we can't, through our own efforts, through being good, through trying to do spiritual math, get to the other side. But through his son, Jesus Christ, he makes a bridge across. This is what Romans chapter 6 Verse 23 tells us, and if I could just kind of complete the picture here, and if you'll excuse the absolutely horrendous art. The cross becomes the bridge that helps us get from the sin side of the equation to the eternal life and God side of the equation. And the way we cross that bridge is we put our trust in Jesus. We trust him. We step across the chasm on the bridge that he has provided himself, and we walk across to the other side. And when we do that, the Bible says that the curse of sin is broken. And we no longer experience the consequence of our sins ultimately, even though here on this earth there might be some implications of choices we've made. Ultimately, we get eternal life through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. And it's not just trusting him in a moment in time only, but it's trusting him in a moment in time and then giving him control. That's what the word Lord means. Letting him be the leader of our lives. We trust him to forgive our sins and to become the leader of our lives. That's the entire story of the Bible contained in one verse. Our Old Testament, the curse begins and God gives the promise. Our New Testament, he sends his son Jesus. And the New Testament ends with the promise that ultimately, in every sense of the word, the curse of sin is going to be broken. So I want to take you right back to the question I asked at the beginning. Has there ever been a time in your life when you made a conscious decision for yourself to put your trust in Jesus as the forgiver and the leader of your life? 
That, that's what Jen Lewis did in our baptism video. We celebrated it publicly, but she made that decision, a heartfelt, internal, private, one-on-one decision between her and God. Made easier because friends had invested in her and prayed for her and took their small group and said, we're not just going to have fun, although that would have been good enough. We're actually going to make an investment in somebody else. We're going to love them as God has loved them and try to show them that this grace of God is a real deal, that they don't have to earn acceptance with us. We're just going to take them as they are. And in doing so, maybe they would, maybe, maybe Jen would experience a little more believability when she hears the message about the grace that God offers her. Now, that's Jen. How about you? Here's what I'm going to do for the next couple moments. I want us to take a a spiritual life survey together. I want us to take a spiritual life survey together. And what we're going to use is our Connect card. And slightly different than the way we've used it in the past. So just go ahead and grab that out, every person in the room. You don't have to participate, but at least participate long enough and then decide whether or not you want to turn it in, okay? That's on you later. You can participate fully right now and then decide later if you want to turn it in or not. So every week I ask the same question. So next step A for us this week is very simple. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the, you know, for the first time, or, or maybe it's, you would say it this way, it's the first time as an adult, first time for myself, apart from what my tradition, my family asked and expected me to do. I want to make a decision for myself right now to accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I, in effect, I want to walk across that bridge. I want to put my trust in God. And his son, Jesus, for my salvation. If you want to do that, it's very simple here. I'm going to ask you to just, by the survey here, check next step A. Now, if you want to wait until we get all the way done with the survey and decide which one applies to you, that's fine. Or next step B, every week for us is the same. You want to get baptized. Just like Jen did, kind of illustrating the decision she had made in a private moment with herself and with her Lord later or earlier, but then later she followed up with baptism. If you want to do that, please check the box and we'll communicate with you. But next step C for us today in in our spiritual survey is this. Just honesty here. We value honesty. I'm considering accepting Jesus into my life as my leader and forgiver. But but you haven't done it yet. But you're kind of on the fence. You're thinking about it. That's okay. This is a serious decision. And, And you shouldn't rush into it. You shouldn't get caught up in emotion. You should make a thoughtful, willful decision on your own for yourself what you're going to do with Jesus. And if this is where you are, it's an honorable place. So if that's where you are, like you're just not ready yet, you don't know maybe that you ever will, but you know you're not now, next step C is is really the way you'll identify where you are kind of spiritually. And here's next step D, just real honesty and transparency in the room. I don't think I'll ever become a Christian. I don't think I'm ever going to put my faith and trust in Jesus. It's okay. You're welcome to come here as often as you like. We're going to love and accept you, and there's a lot you can do to participate in the life of this church. You can join small groups. There's many places of serving opportunities for you to to engage what we do here. You can help us reach our community with love and kindness, even if you're not on board with us theologically. But this is where where you are. Just be honest. I don't think I'm ever... Now, there's a whole other group of people that I haven't yet referenced, and these are people that are already there. So if you're already there, but below next step, A, B, C, D, and E, if you just want to write, I'm already a follower of Jesus, that, that's fine too. So let me just retrace. A would be, I'm accepting right now. B is, I want to get baptized. C is, I'm considering, but I'm not quite there. And D is, I don't think I'll ever. 
make this decision. Now, as a church, we're giving you an opportunity to sign up for small groups. Small groups. So next step, E for us today, is just the small group number you want to join. Hey, no matter where you are in that spiritual spectrum, if you want to be a part of a small group to either learn more, even if you're not a follower, learn more so you can make a decision. Like if you're next step C, maybe you want to join a group to learn or join a fellowship group. And maybe even if you're at next step D, you just want to understand what we're about, you can do that. So use next step E to write the number of your small group from the catalog right on that line. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray right now and I'm going to ask God to help you, if you haven't already, kind of decide where you are on the spectrum. A, B, C, D, or maybe underneath it all. Hey, I'm already there. I'm already there. Just write, write that in. And I'm going to ask you if you'd be honest and bold enough. Put your name on it. If you haven't already, your, your, uh, your email address. And when the offering bucket comes by at the end of the service, put it in there. And I want to communicate with you. I'm not going to uh, challenge you. I'm not going to uh, coerce you. We're not going to shame you. We don't do guilt around here. I just want to give you some resources you can look at. And I, I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you about what's on, important in your life. And so if you put that card in the offering bucket, you'll get an email from me this week just kind of responding to what you said. But no coercion, no guilt, no pressure. It's not what we do around here. But if you've checked next step A, I'm going to pray right now and give you a chance to, in a prayer form, use your own words or mind to look at God and say, God, I'm on the wrong side of the, of the cliff. I'm on the left side of the screen. I'm ready to walk across right now and put my faith and trust in you. And if you're considering doing that, I want to pray for you that God will reveal himself to you. And I'd ask you to pray that prayer. God, show me yourself. Show me what I need to know so that I can get clarity on the decision I need to make. And if you're at next step D, here's my prayer for you, that you would just experience our love and grace as we try to follow Jesus and that you would just experience an environment that we create. No pressure or coercion at all. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you sent your son Jesus and that through him we can have eternal life. God, right now I'm praying for the folks in this room who have made a decision that today they're going to accept you as their Lord and Savior. They're going to walk across the bridge. They're going to go across the chasm from death to life by letting you forgive their sin and asking you to become the leader of their life, the Lord. God, I pray for those who are deciding to go public with their faith in baptism, that that would be a moment that would forever change them and they would experience your grace in new and special ways. God, I lift up those people that are making a heartfelt and thoughtful consideration of what they're going to do with you in their lives. God, show yourself to them. Make them able to see the grace that you offer. And God, I pray for those that don't think they'll ever do that, that in this place at least, while we can't control every place else in this place, they would always experience full love and acceptance, even as we challenge people to line up more and more with what you call us to do. I pray for all these things in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.